It is good to see all of your smiling faces this morning. As Pastor Paul mentioned, uh, I am not Pastor Steve. He's much better looking than me and a little bit taller. But my name is Pastor David Culbertson. I'm the youth pastor here at State College Assembly, and it's a, it's a privilege and an honor to share with you this morning. Uh, Any time that I get to share with you guys as a congregation as a whole is something that I cherish. Uh, that's how I started out in, in my ministry career was preaching on Sunday mornings. Um, I remember the first opportunity I was given. I remember that message. I still have it to this day. It's something that I cherish very, very deeply because I'm passionate about God's word. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at God's Word. Specifically, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Philippians. And if you want to get your Bibles out and turn to Philippians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be resting this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's perfectly fine. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Um, I'm a fan of the New Living Translation, so that's what I'll be preaching out of this morning. But before we get there, uh, if you've never heard me preach before, uh, you may have not heard me say this, but for those of you that have, you understand, I am a congregation participation kind of guy. Um, What that means is when when I'm up here sharing with you, if, if you hear something from God's word that you're like, oh, that's good, say something. Now, some of you are like, well, that's really stuck up about you. You just want us to like encourage you by speaking out loud and saying nice things. No, 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 that's not what it's about. I believe that when we vocalize in agreement with God's word, it does something in our hearts, and it does something in our spirit. I believe that it helps it settle in our hearts more deeply. I believe that it comes across to God as praise, because we're saying, I agree with that, God. That's so good. Thank you, Jesus. And so as we go through this morning, I would encourage you to uh, be a part of the message with me. It's also much more enjoyable for me when I know that you guys are picking up what I'm putting down. But as I said, we're going to be taking a look at Philippians chapter 3, specifically verses 4 through 16, and we're just going to start off this morning very simply. This whole morning's going to be very simple. Just read through this entire passage, and then we're going to go back through and just, I want to share with you some things that God revealed to me as I spent time in his word and let it settle in my heart. But Philippians chapter 3. Verses 4 through 16 says this. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. 
I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things, and if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the power that your word contains, that your word is truth itself. God, I pray that you would prepare every single heart to receive what you have to share from your word this morning. God, I ask that your spirit would move in a mighty way in this place. God, that you would break chains that have held people for years. Lord, that you would break generational hindrances. God, that you would restore as only you can. We're open and we are ready to receive it. Prepare us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's take a look at the first section here, verses 4 through 6 of Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul was saying this, and the end of verse 3 says, We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. For I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I'm a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law, and I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Basically, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's listing off his pedigree. He's saying, listen, these are my qualifications. This is what I have done. He's going through and identifying all of the top religious things that he has done and saying, listen... If anyone can brag about where they are because of the things that they have done in terms of their relationship with God, I can brag about it. The fact that he said, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault is a huge statement to make because the Pharisees tried to, they had their own set of law above what scripture declared and to obey that was insane down to you could only take this many steps on the Sabbath. Just ridiculous things. But maybe to help us better understand it, in modern terms, it could be something like this. I I was born into a Christian family. I was saved. I gave my life to Jesus when I was four years old. I was water baptized when I was 10. I received the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit at age 13. I then went to Bible college to become an AG pastor, the fourth generation of my family. Those are all things from my life that perhaps that we could list off as qualifications to say, look, I've done all of this for God. This makes me so great. And this is what the Apostle Paul is using as an argument here. But then let's read on in verse 7 in the first half of verse 8. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. As, as I study for messages like this, I'll often have numerous copies of the Bible out next to each other. And one of the ones that I look at is the Amplified Version. It's a Bible that I love because it helps us to better understand what was really, truly, originally meant in the original language of the Bible, which in this case was Greek. And in the Amplified Version, it expounds on this phrase, and it adds this. The infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, means this, of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with Jesus, which is a joy unequaled. Of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with Jesus, which is a joy unequaled. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, all of these things that I just listed off, in my case of, of being born into a Christian family, of giving my life to Jesus at a young age, of, of water baptism, of spiritual baptism, all of these things, he said, all of that when compared with knowing God, knowing Jesus, of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled, it's all worthless. And we'll talk more about what that means in a second, but I have to sidestep here and I have to, I have to focus on this. It says to know Christ is a joy unequaled. And th this is a tangent I could preach all morning just on this, but I feel like I have to stop and I have to ask this question. Are you lacking joy in your life? As you look back on this morning, was there a lack of joy in your life? As you look back on yesterday, on last week, on last month, on the entire last year, perhaps for years, is there a lack of joy in your life? If there is, let me ask, how much time are you spending with Jesus? Come on. Of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, which is a joy unequaled. If you're lacking joy in your life this morning, I have your answer and your solution to spend more time with him. Now listen, it's not, this isn't something uh, of trying harder to be better. That's not what this is. It's not a, a work that we're supposed to do and, and this is how it works out. Listen, what it is, is Psalm 1611 says that God shows us the path of life. That's his word. But exactly following that, right after it says, for in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. Not just joy, fullness of joy. The most full, overwhelming joy you could ever possibly experience is found in one place, the presence of God. So I'm not saying this morning that if you're lacking joy in your life, you need to go and spend five hours every morning with Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. It takes 15 seconds to enter into his presence. So wake up, let the first thing that escapes your lips be thank you, Jesus, for this day. If you're lacking joy in your life, spend time with the one who is the giver of joy. But like I said, I'm going to get lost in that if I keep on it. But let's, uh, let's keep moving on. The second half of verse 8 says this. For his sake, for the sake of Jesus, I have discarded everything else. Okay, not, note this, not just what he was discussing, not just his pedigree, not just his accomplishments, but everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. 
so that I could gain Christ. I've discarded everything else as garbage. There's something being revealed to us here that we need to recognize and realize this morning, and that is that we can't hold on to the world and to Christ at the same time. You grab onto the world, you've got to let go of Christ. You grab onto Christ, you've got to let go of the world. It says, For the sake of Christ, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. In order to gain Christ, I must discard this. Now, as I was really digging into God's word and researching this, I noticed that the word garbage was translated differently in a bunch of different translations, which is always something that intrigues me. If you're new to understanding the Bible, it was originally written in different ancient languages, and the book of Philippians was written in Greek. And so when we translate things, sometimes uh, the exact meaning can get lost. But some other versions translated garbage as manure. I grew up in a farm community. I understand that. The good old King James 1611 version translated it as dung. But as I looked in my commentaries and lexicons, which is a study of the Greek language, the most accurate description of this word is actually dog poop. <laughs> all right. How many dog owners do we have out there? Yes. We, we all understand. And those of you that aren't dog owners, you understand when someone kindly walks by your yard and leaves a little gift. But I have a dog. His name is Riker. Um, many of you know him very well by our social media. I think there's more pictures of him on there than us. Uh, and some of you love him so much that when you walk up to me, you ask how my dog is before I am which I always find interesting, but funny at the same time. I understand that he's really cute. But if there's anything about my dog that I do not like, it's his poop. And I know some of you are like, I can't believe the pastor's talking about poop from the stage. I'm the youth pastor, all right? But there's a point to this. When my dog goes and makes his deposit outside... In the state college borough, I have to immediately pick it up. That's ordinance. And so what do I do? I take a little plastic bag, I put it over my hand, and I go out and I pick it up because I don't want to touch that. And I hold my breath while I tie it shut and continue to hold my breath while I open the container where all of the other bags are and continue to hold my breath as I walk over, let the dog in, clip his leash, open the door, get inside, and go... It's bad. Now, Pastor David, where on earth are you going with this? He said, I discard everything else, counting it as dog poop. I discard it as if I would dog poop. Manure, dung. I don't want to touch Riker's deposit. I don't want to smell it. I want to be present with it for as little amount of time as humanly possible. When I have to empty that thing at the end of the week, I hate that. That is what the Apostle Paul was saying is how our relationship with everything else besides Christ is to be. Our attachment to it is to be as limited as we would be attached to a bag of dog poop. 
It is completely and utterly worthless. There's no value in that stuff. We're not even allowed to recycle it in our garden. I count everything else as worthless, discarding it as garbage, as manure, as dung, as dog poop. We have to stay as little attached to it as possible. Because if we stay attached to these things, in the end, we just end up stinking like it does. And really, there's no end value in it. In the end of verse 9, the Apostle Paul references that we no longer count our own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, we become righteous through faith in Christ. That is where our value is found. That's what counts. What Christ has done for us allows us to be justified before God. And in that, we can find our value. But let's continue to move on to verse 12 through 14 as we continue to receive from God's word this morning. He goes on to say this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already achieved perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is holiness. And again, this is another topic that I could rabbit trail gone. There goes Pastor David very easily, so I'm going to keep it condensed here. But if you have questions about it, I'd love to talk to you. But he's talking about holiness, and what he's specifically referencing are the different aspects of holiness. Holiness is being separated into dedication unto God and being pure. But there's three different aspects to it that we have to understand. There's justification, to be justified before God based upon our position. As I would reference it, it's positional holiness. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you become an adopted son, an adopted daughter of the Most High King. And because of your position, you are justified and declared holy. That's what he was just talking about. I discard everything because my faith, my righteousness is found in Christ. But he switched gears here. All of a sudden, he's talking about a different aspect of holiness. He's talking about sanctification, which means to be sanctified. I know I just defined a term by using the term. But to be sanctified is based upon our behaviors, as I would call it, behavioral holiness. And the last one would be glorification or eternal holiness. When the second coming of Christ comes and we are resurrected anew, it says that we will be perfect in body, soul, and spirit and be glorified to be like Christ, to be perfect. But what the Apostle Paul here is referencing is sanctification or the process of becoming more like Christ through the power of of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, I've referenced all these things. I don't want you to think that just because I'm teaching you about them that I have reached perfection, because I haven't. But what he's saying is, listen, you have to understand that this is a cooperative work between the Holy Spirit and between the believer. Pastor Steve talked about this, I believe it was two or three weeks ago, 
in referencing Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, which was one of my favorite verses. It said, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Have we ever stopped to think about that for a moment and how amazing that is? God is up in heaven and he could have just as easily declared, listen, this is how I want you to behave. This is how I want you to live. Go and do it. But instead he said, listen, this is how I desire for you to live, but I'm not going to leave you to get there by yourself. I want to give you the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of grace to help you get there. And not only that, ah, love this, give you the desire and the power to do it. There's days where I just don't want to be good. And those are the days that I realize I need more of Jesus because it's through him that I get that desire to do what pleases him. But the thing that we have to understand with sanctification, with behavioral holiness of becoming more like Christ through our life is that it takes effort. It takes effort. As we look through verses 12 and 14, right here, he says, I press on to possess that perfection that for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In 14, I press on to reach the end of the race. There is a pressing, there's an effort that's taking place. And I love verse 14 because uh, the Apostle Paul references running often, running a race because it's a wonderful picture, metaphor, to help us understand what's happening here. I press on to reach the end of the race. Uh, when, when I was in middle school, seventh grade specifically, I actually ran track. I did short distance. I did the 100 meter, 200, 400, and the four by one. I did hurdles a couple times until I have a scar and might need to prove it. Uh, and then I stopped doing it because I wasn't very good at it. But the rest, I excelled at. I'd outrun my coach. I'd outrun all of the other participants. I placed. I did very well. But part of the reason why I did so well was because my coach taught me something. And that was that you do not run your hardest at the beginning of the race. The closer that you get to the finish line, the more effort that you put forth. And the harder you do to push through, to press on. Something that I feel hinders so many of us as Christians as we grow in our walk with Christ in years and in time is that we feel the longer that we're with Christ, the less effort necessarily we have to put forth to be with him. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which Christ Jesus has called me. The longer we're with Christ, the greater an opportunity he gives us to serve him. The greater we have an opportunity to press in and the greater amount of grace he gives us to empower us to reach the end of the race. But there's one other thing in here in this section before we move on and come to a close this morning that I want us to look at that I really think if we miss this, we've missed the entire desire of this portion of scripture. In verse 13, I'm going to read it again. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. If the Bible says to focus on one thing, let's focus in on it. Forgetting the past 
and looking forward to what lies ahead. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. If you would ask me, I believe that this is one of the greatest obstacles to growth in the Christian walk. I can't tell you how many students I have walked through this with. I can't tell you how many adults I have walked through this with in their walk with Christ of the importance of realizing that we must forget the past so that we can look forward to what lies ahead. Now, let's not make a mistake that so many Christians would make. So many of us would just quickly assume what this is referencing as forgetting the past is forget my mistakes. Forget the sin that is behind me because Christ has forgiven me. Amen. Hallelujah. He's forgiven me. But that's not the only thing that he's referencing. He doesn't say forget my past mistakes. He says forget the past, which includes my mistakes. It includes my achievements. This Apostle Paul just talked about in the beginning here. It includes my blessings that I've received. Because listen, if we focus in on our past mistakes, that leads to guilt, which hinders us. It leads to condemnation, which leads to shame. But conversely, when we focus solely in on our past achievements or our past blessings, it can lead to pride. As well as if you ask me, when I focus on the things that God has done for me in the past, though they're good, I'm not saying don't praise him for them, don't reflect on them, but what I'm saying is don't let them be your sole focus because it'll distract you for what God has ahead of you. If I focus on the things God has done in the past for me, sometimes I end up putting God in a box of what he can do for me in the future. If I focus on the way that he provided for me when I was in college when my wife and I's financial aid status just changed. We got married, and we were living in, in housing on campus, and all of a sudden we got a bill for over $1,000. Like, in college, I'm 20, I work on campus, I don't have that money. We sought after God. And we met with financial aid, and we met with everybody. And we got a specialty scholarship to meet the exact amount that we needed. Over $1,000, just like that. Now, if I was to focus on that past blessing, I wholeheartedly believe that I would limit the future of what God could do for me because I just wouldn't be looking or praying or pressing in to what he wants to provide for me. Come on, somebody needs to hear this this morning. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could possibly think or imagine. And that's not a good saying for me. That's from scripture. So what is that saying? It's saying if you can imagine, if you've got this thing in your head of what God's going to do in your life, you're not thinking big enough. (laughs) Oh, come on. We have to get to this point where we understand I'm forgetting my past. There's been things God's done in my past that has been great. There's been wonderful ways that he has come through for me. But he wants me to focus ahead because I can't focus on what lies ahead. What does that mean? It means following Jesus. And have you ever noticed you can't follow someone if you're not looking at them? I hate those games. Find this person with your eyes closed. 
Following after Jesus means we look ahead after him. We're leaving those things behind because he wants more and better for us. There's somebody here this morning. A choice of your past, not necessarily a mistake. Some would identify it as that, but it's different. A choice that you made in your past haunts you to this day. You question every day, did I do the right thing? Did I make the right move? Did I make the right choice? It's great and all to reflect, to contemplate, but Jesus is telling you, give it to me. Come on, give it to me. You have to forget the past so I can show you what I want for you in the future. If I could sum up this entire message in one phrase, in one saying, please don't miss this. If I could sum it up in one thing, it's to say this, it's not about what is behind me, but it rather, it's all about who is in me. It's not about what is behind me, but rather it's all about who is in me. The things of your past don't have to define you. They don't have to limit you. They certainly don't have to limit God. It's not about what is behind me, but rather all about who is in me. If you would stand with me as we come to a close this morning, and and as you stand, allow me to read these last two verses from this section. Verses 15 and 16. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's wrapping up this entire section with some important reminders that if it's in Scripture, it's important for us. In verse 15, he says, Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. What is he saying? Listen, if you don't agree about something in Scripture or about who God is with another believer, seek God, not debate. Seek God, not debate. God isn't asking for us to have a holy agenda where we just try to drive something down another Christian's throat who maybe isn't mature enough to be there yet. Can you imagine how, how much more powerful it would be when we meet a disagreement with another believer instead of debating with them about what God's word says, we instead prayed with them? Titus 3.9 talks about this, and it says, listen, listen, don't get controlled and consumed by the minutiae of Scripture, debating genealogies and different things. It's foolishness. Instead, let's see God together. And then verse 16, 
says, but we, have, we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. What, the, immediately upon reading that, what it spoke to me was, listen, we're in this together. We are the body of Christ, as 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us. We must hold on to the progress we've already made. Listen, if you see in one of your brothers and sisters in Christ growth, call it out. Come on. Hebrews 10 22 through 24 talks about this. It says, listen, let's consider ways, let's think about ways that we can spur one another on towards good works, towards what Christ has called for us. And with that, let's never neglect meeting together. If you see progress happening in your spouse, encourage them. Call it out. If you see progress in your child, encourage them. Call it out. If you see somebody just pressing into worship on a Sunday morning like you've never seen before and you don't even know their name, but it inspires you, approach them and say, thank you for pressing into worship this morning. It inspired me. Let's hold on to the progress that we make in our relationship with Jesus and let's grow together as the body of Christ as we have been designed to do. Amen? But I want to to bring it back this morning as we come to a close, just as the reminder, because I believe that really this is what God wants to be conveyed this morning. It's not about what's behind you, but rather all about who is in you. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is John 3.30. And it says, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. It's all about him being inside of me. He must become greater and greater. Lord, help me to become more like Jesus, like your son. Take my flesh and continue to help me to surrender it, to give it to you.